Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome back to Cutting the Distance. Today we are recording from the mountains of Oregon. The rut is finally starting to pick up. The bulls are starting to get pretty vocal and the weather's starting to cool down. I can't wait to hunt these last 10 days of September here. Today's guest is my good buddy and longtime camera guy, David Frame. He grew up in Dayton, Washington, where he became passionate about photography and began shooting, photographing and shooting wildlife at a young age. David has been very fortunate to film hunts and take pictures all across the U.S., he may be behind the camera most of the time, but what he knows about hunting uh, is second to none. He knows what he's doing out there. I love being able to bounce ideas off of him during a hunt, not to mention once something is down, he's pretty handy with a heavy pack. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, thanks, Phelps, for having me on today. Uh, how's everything going? It's going good. Uh, fall in the mountains, so can't beat it. Yeah, it's, it's it's awesome. Like I said, um, you know, most time you're behind the camera, but I really uh, enjoy hunting with you. You know, you're just like a buddy, except for most time you're you're behind the camera, and and they got uh, for some reason my ugly mugs in front of the camera. So, uh, no, we we've had a lot of good hunts together. That's what we're going to kind of cover today is what we've you know some of the hunts we've been on together and what's what you know where we found the success. Um, and, and we're going to go over some of those hunts. I think we've got four or five hunts we've been successful on since we've started working together um, back in 18 or 19. So um, like we start all Cutting the Distance episodes, though, we're going to start with some listener questions. These all came in from email. We got three questions today. And if you have questions of your own for us here at Cutting the Distance, feel free to email them to us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or send us a message on social media, and we'll do our best to get those um, on here for me and my listeners to answer. So... The first question today is from Brian Rosen from Butte, Montana. Um, he was out hunting last week in southwest Montana, and he was able to randomly hear two bulls bugling on a neighboring ridge. Everything had been pretty quiet up until that point. Um, he exchanged some calls back and forth for about a half an hour, but they never seemed to actually move towards him. 
He eventually attempted a spot and stock since they were still responding but not getting drawn in. Once he was within 88 yards of what he says is a big six point, he continued to grunt and bark. The bull continued to grunt and bark in his direction, but simply would not close the distance uh, with bull or cow calls uh, from him. He, the bull eventually casually walked off into the timber. Um, Brian did not pursue him as he didn't want to blow him out of the area, and it was almost uh, the end of the day anyways. So his question for us is, how do I get a bull that will respond to bugling only? How do you get him, how do you get that bull within shooting range, given that he will not respond to cow calls, raking, any of that stuff? Yeah, so... I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have a lot more knowledge on this subject than I do, Phelps. But uh, I would I would think the first thing I would be trying is um, maybe maybe even just get the wind right, figure out where the where the rest of the herd is, figure out where some of the cows might be bedded or hanging out, and try to stock in on on some of those cows and get get within bow range or rifle range and just hang out, sit down. Um, Try to be there as long as long as you can, and hopefully, uh, the herd bull will come circling around eventually yeah. and might get a shot. Yeah, and and that's what, right off the bat with that bull bugling and responding, but not wanting to come any closer. I instantly, it's like we've got a herd bull most likely. Um, but I'm also in the back of my head knowing that he had two bulls over there. Obviously, one of them most likely wasn't herd bull. I guess you could have two herds that have come together and that other bull had left. But um, depending on what you're after, how picky you're being and what you're looking for, you could have just sat down with heavy cow calls. And it, it may take a while. Like bulls coming into a cow call, a lot of times they're not as vocal. They, they take their time a little bit more. Um, so it may be a, a long game. Yeah, you may hear that bigger bull responding and he's not coming in, but you may be able to switch tactics. Now, if you're going after that herd bull, um, sometimes you have to be very aggressive. Um, you know, Try to find a way to approach pretty quietly. And as Dave said, if you can get to within shooting distance or the edge of his cows, typically he will come between you and them, but he won't leave those cows to come all the way to you. He's not going to leave his for sure thing to come find some cow that's calling him or a bull that's challenging him. But the bull, you know, now if you were able to, if the vegetation and terrain allowed and you kept bugling your way right into him, um, he's either got two two responses, right? He can leave or he can stay and fight you. And so it, it just depends on how that terrain and vegetation laid out on that ridge. Um, the other thing you can, you know, if, if it allowed, you know, we don't have enough information here, but with that, you could have used that ridge to your advantage. Like if you knew which side they were on, you could have stayed concealed on the opposite side and then popped up as, you know, as close as you can. Maybe you did. It's hard to speculate exactly what happened here without all the information, but um we use that a lot. You know, we kind of call it the shock and awe. You're just the the tighter you can get to that bull and and leave him uh, no no other choice but to come in. Um, a lot of times you have great success. Like I wish I could say it's skill all the time, but there are many times we're moving through the woods and we catch a glimpse of a bull. Yeah. We might be 30, 40, 50 yards away. Like we got way too close. We didn't exactly know he was there, and we we're able to call those bulls. And like my that bull that Dirt called in for me in in uh, New Mexico in 2020. Like we we only called that bull in 10 yards before I shot him. He was already at 50 yards as soon as we sat down. He just didn't pick us out. Um, you know, so you can use that ridge, get get real close, and, you know, it may have helped. And I think everybody's, you know, and I'm not saying Brian's searching for, like, a, a guaranteed answer because a lot of times we're, we're still out there. You know, how many times do we, on any given setup, like, should we approach this way? Should we go this way? Should we, oh, yeah. you know, we're, we're always questioning what we're doing, and, and you got 
the plan kind of evolves multiple times. You start out with the plan. You, you know, the old quote from Mike Tyson, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, the wind's hitting us, you know, right now the wind's hammering us. And so we go a different direction and we realize we wasted 45 minutes because by the time we get to where we want, the wind was actually right, you know? And so you just, every, all these plans evolve. Um, and, and you're always, you're always changing as you go, but getting close to the, to a herd bulls, cows, or to him is, is going to be to your, your best bet. Yeah. And I will say, um, to that point of being a little bit aggressive and getting close to animals that are maybe even a little bit spooked, but don't have your wind. Um, a few years ago I did end up spooking, spooking a herd and, and, and the bull ended up spooking as well. But the bull thought that there was another bull coming in. And so he just chased after the cows and the whole herd and he was trying to get them rounded up again. And I ended up, um, just following them they didn't have my wind at all yep. and ended up bugling and that bull just whipped around and came right in yeah big herd bull and so yeah yeah i've i've bumped cows before um you know we almost had the opportunity yesterday i think we bumped some cows and i thought we might have still had a shot with the bull because we were kind of in a little bit of a bugling battle and uh you know ultimately i think he ended up going with his cows but a lot of times you can bump cows sometimes and that bull thinks that you're another bull that bumped him and he'll still come over so yep. um not all's lost if you if you're too aggressive and yep. that's that's how i grew up hunting roosevelt's i didn't really know what i was doing i was very aggressive and we would bump cows but still be able to call the bull in yep. afterwards as long as you have the wind and they don't yep yep so all right uh thank you for that question brian uh moving on to a question from levi malloy out of new mexico um, they, he said he just got done with an either sex archery hunt. I'm assuming it was the first season um, in the southern part of uh, the Lincoln National Forest. Um, he said they weren't rutting real hard yet, but they were active. Um, he was primarily using cow calls and throwing bugles out anytime he heard a bugle. Uh, he said he was able to call two mature bulls into about 150 yards, uh, but when they crested the ridge across the canyon or the, the little ravine from him and his brother, they were interested, but he couldn't pull them any closer to 150 yards. Um, he's asking what should he have done in that situation. Um, he said they hadn't spotted them. They were for sure of that, and they had good wind, um, but they weren't able to close the distance anymore. So what would what would you have done in, in that scenario? Yeah, so, I mean, that that's happened to me so many times. I mean, um, it, it happens all the time. But uh, I think just looking back, hindsight's 2020. Um, I would have I would have tried to use that terrain, use that ridge, and maybe park myself maybe just just on the other side of that ridge in the direction the bulls were coming, so that they had to as soon as they had to look over that ridge, you're sitting there at yep. twenty yards or yep. or whatever, um, just a little bit of cover using that ridge. Yep, we we talk about that all the time. Is you know, don't don't try to set up or don't try to call that bull until. Um, you're within shooting range of where they're going to show up. And if you knew ahead of time where you were standing, you wouldn't be able to approach where you thought they would, then you might as well not call again until you can get your setup a little bit better. You know, get that vegetation, get that terrain, whatever you're using to your advantage there. Um, you need to be within bow range when you start calling. Um, you know, and, and, you know, one thing, like I said, we're, we're speculating on this question, like, was there a way you could have backed out and made a big circle? Like, um, you know, as much as I always want it to be point A to point B to get, to get to these elk, like, is there an alternate route, you know, that, that revolve, you know, involves a big circle or a big loop that keeps your wind right, you know, and, and maybe that was your chance to move in closer. Um, you know, it depends on how, how aggressive you want to be or how much, you, you know, work you want to put in, but there are some times where, it's like, oh, shoot, we gave up some ground. We can't move anymore, but we can back up, and it might be a mile or a mile and a half loop, you know, to get back to where we need to be. But, hey, we can get behind this ridge. We can get over there, and, and hopefully they're still willing to play at that time. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and that's just one of those things. When a, when a bull gets to a spot where it expects to see 
the cow or the bull bugling at them, whether it's a challenge, whether they're coming to find a cow, um, they're kind of done closing distance at that point. Like they expect to see the bull, they expect to see the cow. And if it's not there, they're like, well, I've came as far as I'm going to come. If you're really here, like they've announced their position, they're up on the ridge, like you come the rest of the way. And that just seems that, you know, that's how nature works anyways. And we're trying to, to interact with it. But um, when we set up things, you know, maybe I won't say wrong, but if we set things up a little bit different than the nature's intended to work, um, we'll get those hangups quite a bit. Yep. Um, so our last question comes from Michael Blanchard. I believe uh, I didn't write down where he's from. I thought he said he was from Arkansas, but uh, he's going on his first elk hunt in Colorado this year. It's a first uh, rifle season, which I did a little bit of research. Looks like it opens on October 14th this year. Um, he asked, what tips do you have for a first time elk hunter? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I'd probably be, uh, looking at finding a high point in the area and pulling the spot and scope out and just glassing the hillsides as much as I can daylight to dark. Um, I mean, sometimes you'll get lucky and they'll still be bugling that late in the year. Um, but I mean, honestly, yeah, mid October, I'd be looking at, I'm sitting on a high point and yep. trying to glass up bulls. Yep. Yeah. Get high, cover a lot of ground. And I think you're still going to, until the gunshots start going off in the mountains, you're going to still have those elk rutting a little bit, um, you know, in Colorado. But what I would be looking for is where can I find that bull with his cows as they go from the rut? But then what I'm really wanting to know, if you're not lucky enough to get it done, where are these hard to reach places? Where's where are these brush holes? Where the, where's their food? You know, these bulls come off of the rut. They're going back to replenish. They're going to eat a lot. Um, are they going to be in secluded timber pockets? Are they going to be in these you know hidden meadows? Are they going to be in rough, nasty country? I'm looking around where I may find them, you know, leading up to the opener or you know day one or two. But where are they going to go right after that? Um, so not only am I like you said, I'm going to get up high in glass and just try to figure out the country, figure out where I could maybe shoot from or where you know those stalks are all going to work. But then where am I going to go once once those bulls start to break off? Um, I'm paying a lot of attention to that on Onyx as well as when I'm on the ground. Like where am I going to find? Um, those elk. So, you know, his second question kind of rolls into this. Do I, we recommend just pounding the dirt and covering a lot of ground? Um, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I've never hunted Colorado first rifle, but, um, I think, I think initially I'd be trying to set up in one area, at least me personally, and, and really, really get to learn it. And, um, see try to figure out the habits of the critters that are that are in there um try looking for burned areas edges of those burns um yeah and just really anchor myself down in one spot i think and um just see what i can turn up yep. but then after but be willing to change after yep. a couple of days if you're not seeing in any animals or anything be be willing to start covering country yeah but i like to initially try to try to anchor myself to one spot and learn it a little bit and then, yep. and then go out from there. Yeah. And I think going into a hunt, if he's, if you're new to this area, if you don't have any tips on where to go, um, you do a lot of e-scouting, right? You go in with a, a one, two, three, four, five list where you think looks good. You know, you go there first, you scout it. If you know, you give it a, an evening and, and then maybe even a morning, like make sure you've given it a good time. Now I'm assuming you can go scout. Now, if this is hunting, you're doing the same thing. Like you go to that spot first. Um, if your spot A just isn't going to pan out, 
you need to move very quickly to spot B and go see if it pans out. And what I like to do is my spot A may be a little bit easier to get to, but I think it's got the right things for elk. I think it's in the right spot. B, C, because as season goes on, I'm starting to get maybe a little deeper, a little bit harder hike in, you know, and I'm, I'm trying because these other easy spots are going to be hit. So I'm progressively going to harder to reach spots um, and checking those out. And you just keep going down the line until you figure out where the dang elk are at and, and you know, be able to hunt them. Uh, will elk be bugling around the first rifle in Colorado? We touched on that a little bit. Um, it's really hit or miss from year to year. Um, you know, you had mentioned you do, you haven't hunted first season Colorado. Um, I've been around um, in that time, and and they could be bugling. They may not be bugling. Um, it's just really hit or miss. But I would say for the most part, you're going to hear bugles um, yeah. that time of year. Yep. So it's always a good idea um, to to carry you know a bugle at least for the first part now if, if the elk aren't hammering but you see him like if you know for sure the rut's not going i wouldn't be you know the, the oddball out out there just cranking bugles off everywhere i'd kind of try to fit in with with what nature's doing for sure um and we touch on this a little bit but his last question uh, of the of his four how long should he glass in one area before he moves on um man yeah that depends on a lot of factors i think uh weather and um, temperatures and and just what you're seeing but um, I'd definitely like to at least give a spot a morning and evening is where I would start and then just see see how you're feeling about it if if, if you're seeing critters then you might want to stay stay there longer um, if you're not then then start thinking about those B and C options yep yeah it, it's really hit or miss it's how much time you know, if you've got the scout, you may want to hit a whole bunch of spots and only give it a morning or an evening, you know, hunting. Um, and it really depends on the sign. Like we all want to be active hunter, active participants in the game, right? Like we're, you know, we're, we're walking around Oregon right now. We haven't had a chance to scout a whole lot and things have moved since we've got good information, but we, as we hike, we're like, Oh, there's fresh elk tracks here. There's fresh rubs. Um, the same thing happens in rifle season. Like where are the rubs at, where, where are the tracks at scat, um, and then you eventually just put it all together. And and it's one of those games, you know, we all played it when we were younger with our parents or friends. It's like warmer, colder game. Like, all right, you eventually keep following fresh tracks until it gets better and better. Or as it starts to get worse, you're like, all right, I'm going to back up into that zone. I'm going to try to figure out where the heck those things went because it's obvious they were here, you know, within the last 24 hours, 48 hours. Um, it, it's the best information we've got. And so um, use that to to add into some of these things, what you're seeing, like, Hey, there's a lot of elk sign around here. Maybe I'm just not picking them up. Um, whatever it may be, but be, be an active participant on the landscape and use any information you've got. Um, you know, some people may frown at this, but it's just, it's adding information to your, your tool, your toolbox as, as you're going through a hunt is another thing that you look at is where are other hunters like, or, I mean, even if you're just using it for like elevations, type of areas, pockets, basins, like if there's, 20 hunters stacked at a trailhead i'm i'm probably not going to go in there but it lets me think like what does that look like what other spots in the unit are kind of like that what elevations do i get to use that sort of stuff um you know to your advantage as well yeah and like on this hunt even um we're we're kind of checking spots off but i never like to completely erase them off the whiteboard i like to i like to keep them in the back pocket still and okay two days later we might come through here and see what yep. there is yep yeah, you, elk move in and out of spots. They're not necessarily just just going to stay there as they get pressure. They move may move in, or you might go in there the day after somebody else was in there. They got pressured, so they're not talking or they're not there. But that may be where they want to be, and they're going to be back in another day. So it's 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 a weird balance. It's a I'd say weird. It's a delicate balance of burning up time 
chasing ghosts versus is it a good area that should hold elk because they're print, you know, they're they're annually there during the rut, um, you know, and there's evidence of that versus they're just gone. Um, so you're you're trying to always balance, um, you know, that that equation on using up precious time that we have out here versus trying to find elk that may or may not be in an area at all that year. So, um, well, thank you all for the questions. Once again, if you have uh, questions for me or my listeners, um, feel free to email them to us at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com or send us a social media message. Uh, we'll do our best to get those questions on here for, for me and my guests to answer. So we really appreciate those. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth now we're going to dive into some of our past hunts dave um, and go over a few things that have worked in those situations as well as uh, what didn't work um, so we went, I think our very first hunt, we, it was kind of our trial run. You're like, it, I think you're like, I'll do it because you were what? 15 minutes from yeah, home. Yeah. It was 15 minutes up the road. Yeah. So Dave, I think he was, he's like, if this doesn't pan out, I can just leave these jokers yeah. up on the mountain and not have to ever talk to him again. Um, so we were in his backyard on a spring bear hunt with my good buddy, Charlie Smith. 
Um, and it, it worked out good. I think, you know, you, it, you, you joked right with the crew. You were, it didn't take long to integrate in. Um, you know, and we, Charlie ended up being able to kill a, a pretty little uh, cinnamon blonde on that hunt. And, um, from then on, that was kind of our, was that our only hunt we had you on that year? It was kind of just a trial run. I, we weren't filming a I whole think lot. So, then. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's hard then, to, all the, all the hunts blend together, but I think so. Yep. And then 18, we had kind of a, a busy schedule with uh, multiple guys on multiple state trips. And we started to utilize you yeah, a lot more on our hunts. You know, everything you did was, was great and, and turned out for us. So I think that year you filmed John and Charlie on an Idaho elk hunt. Yep. And, um, John was able to kill, I think Charlie called in a pretty big five point for John pretty early in the hunt. And there were some other bulls around. Um, so you hunted with those guys. And then later that year, you ended up going to Nevada with us on my dad's mule deer hunt, where he killed a pretty good buck on on the second day of that hunt. Um, and then we, we, then we kind of started elk hunting together. It, we had kind of just, you know, had hunted together when it fit. And, and um, then in uh, 2019, we had a, a pretty big, plan together. I think you stayed with me for almost all of September. I think we started um, here in Oregon at the end of August. I think you you had some stuff going on or maybe you were doing your own hunt then. Uh, I can't remember, but we went to Wyoming shortly thereafter, um, yep. the beginning of September to the Bighorns, and then we came back to Oregon. So let's kind of, let's relive that um, 2019 Wyoming hunt. Um, we, you know, we were in the Bighorns and, and leading into that hunt, we had got a bunch of information that and I don't ever trust this information, but everybody's like, you don't have to scout a lot. Like there are elk literally everywhere. And I remember we got there, we got camp unloaded, got everything set. And I think we were there. Were we only there the night before? Or did we show up a day and a half before? I think it was a day and a half. Yeah. I think it was a day started. and a half. Cause we did quite a bit of scouting. Yeah, Cause yeah. We, we went in and, and, um, we scouted and found some elk the first night. And then the next night we found like a, you know, if you haven't been to the Bighorns, there are these crazy cliffs that separate the tops and then like the mid slopes. Um, and, and so we were able to find a way through that to get a lot closer to, to where we had spotted those elk. And it was unbelievable the night before season. Like I could not move my spotter to a meadow or an area that didn't seem to have elk in it. Um, so that's, I, it sounds super cliche and, and extremely obvious, but you can't kill an elk without, having elk there but this place seemed to be unreal you couldn't move without being an elk which was every elk hunter's dream right yeah that's the most elk i've ever seen still still yep. to date yeah in we one were, spot the, the night before i i think if anybody goes back and watches the video i'm all grins because i'm just like you even i can't screw this up you know um we were going to have elk no matter which basin which ridge and then you actually have a little bit of a problem because you, you're like well i don't know where to go this ridge had elk on it this ridge you know that i really like that bowl and you're kind of looking through bowls and you really kind of pick you know that way um we ultimately found a ridge that we thought would be a little bit harder for people to get to um and so we elected to, to go down in, in their opening day. That was, I don't know if everybody remembers, I had lost a bet with my buddy Dirk Durham that year. Uh, who would sell more diaphragms, my personal signature diaphragm or his? And I think he ended up beating me by a couple thousand diaphragms. And uh, my for me to pay up on that bet, Dirk got to pick out a whole Kogan outfit that I got to hunt in, which was uh, real uh, humbling and... Uh, so my intention going up on the mountain was to not see anybody. And we were just going to get through the first day. We were going to film it. And then I was going to edit this film. So I was going to put very, very little of that in. Um, we had a, we had a, 
a pretty good morning. We ended up bumping the herd that we wanted to of about, I think it was still 100 head, plus or minus. We got him into some thick stuff and ended up seeing legs and never did see him. We chased another little bugle for a while. Um, and then uh, everything everything quieted down quite a bit that day. I think we, we sat for, what, five, six hours that day up on the mountain yeah. taking a nap. Yeah. Um, we did, we were, as we mentioned, there was a lot of elk, elk rich environment. We did not want to keep bumping things until they started bugling again. You know, you wanted those shadows to get long. You want them to get up out of their beds at four thirty-five. um, you know, somewhere in there and start bugling. So we, we hung out there and started to work our way down the mountain to where we had saw maybe the, the next best bulls, um, that morning. And, uh, I think we, we finally, it was pretty close to dark. We were able to get a bull to locate. Um, and he was high. He was actually in, I don't even know what the name is, where those cliffs kind of fall out and make a flat bench below them. And, you know, mm-hmm. they're kind of scattered with rocks. He was in kind of a shelf yep. um, below the cliff. It, but he wasn't cover. He wasn't covering any distance. Um, I think we had tried to call in a couple different setups. And and when we when we talk about this over and over, if a bull will not move his location or doesn't seem to be moving his location over a set amount of time that seems like he's going to close the distance, you need to move yourself. Um, and we had set up a couple times and, and he was very responsive. He would beagle back, but he would never move locations. And so ultimately we looked at each other and like, we got to go, we were running out of time. Both we were, we had the clock ticking against us. And, uh, so we, we were trying to move fairly quickly. Um, we were very aggressive. We, we crossed a little rock ravine. Um, he was beagling kind of, as we were still running, we were kind of picking up on that, but we had, I had this spruce tree kind of that I, we needed to get to. That was going to be the one where, um, you know, I could shoot through the limbs. I could kind of see through them. I can get a better feel for what was going on. That was one of those times where we were just talking about earlier. I think we showed up about 55 yards away from the bull. Yeah, Um, I think so. We had to, we had to, we had to call him very little. But this is what happens. I believe this bull heard us coming. He didn't hear us bugling because we stopped bugling. This was one of those times where I knew he was there. We, we knew we didn't need to bugle because he was bugling on his own. So we went silent. We closed that last 200, 250 yards without making a peep. But I, elk can hear very good. We've even seen it on this trip. We've had elk bugle at us just walking down a road or down a trail. They hear us and, and rip off. Um, you know, so they will bugle just at the sound of your feet. Um, this bull started bugling and bugling more. And we, I think we did start finally bugling back and forth at him. Um, but he would not budge. I could see bits and pieces of him through the tree, uh, but he would not move. And on this one, a lot of people talk, you know, we, we talk about all of the different sounds that bull elk make. Um, one of the sounds is an alarm bark or a, a nervous bark. Um, he knew that we were there, but basically when, when a bull barks, he asks you to show yourself, right? Um, I, I, everybody always asks me how we hold our bugle tubes. I typically during a shooting situation, keep my bugle tube. If I'm on my knees, I'll keep it between my legs. If I'm standing up, I pinch my bugle tube between my legs. Um, that's just how, well, he barked at me and I was all, because he's, he's kind of in view, kind of not in view. And I can't remember if I picked my tube. Do you remember if I picked my tube up or if I just barked with my voice? I or can't just, remember. Or just like barked without a tube. I was focused on the viewfinder. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Dave was Dave was focused on getting the shot. Um, but but I, I think I barked with a diaphragm, but I didn't lift my tube up. Um, so basically, he said, show yourself. And I said, no, show yourself. And just like clockwork on that colon, that bull, as soon as I barked, we had been in a 10 to 15 minute um, stalemate, standoff, whatever you want to call it, that bull walks 15 yards to the right and, and 
plain sight, very good bow range. I think it was 30 yards um, and made a great shot. And uh, this is one of those times where sometimes people can celebrate and maybe get too loud after a shot. Um, we kind of kept our composure a little bit. Um, I he As he was running back behind the spruce tree where I was going to lose sight, I had actually stepped to the right. Um, I didn't spook him. He never saw me, but I was trying to watch, and I realized he stops. I, I think I cow called, or we called right after. Yeah. Um, the bull was lethally wounded. Mm-hmm. He was hit perfect. Uh, I was, but I'm. I was taught. I was raised, and I will do it probably till the day I die. Until some bad experience or some other, uh, some other studies show that you should never shoot him twice. I was able to call that bull back in. He didn't come all the way to the same spot, but he came out in the open a little bit more. And I had a little bit of a of a uh, of a not decent angle. He was a little bit quartered too, but I put it just on the backside of the shoulder and shot him again. Now some people may say. You know, you don't want to alarm or to spook a bull that's lethally wounded. Um, but I'm of I'm of the sense like even though I know that shot's perfect, I would just assume his lungs have another hole in them. Oh yeah. Um, and that bull was good evidence of it. He tipped over forty yards down the hill from where I shot the second time yep. or where he got hit the second time. Um, one of the most, the, you know, <laughs> the, I don't say disgusting. One of the dirtiest. <laughs> breakdowns ever that bull had found himself a wallow during the 90 degree you know early september heat and um he was completely covered head to toe yeah we tried um for those of you that that i haven't talked about like my my dad and uncles were all raised in a butcher shop and it's been passed down to us like your meats kept very clean no hair no dirt and i looked at dave i'm like man i cannot keep my hands under the hide it's just going to be a disaster and we looked at each other, and we were both running pretty low on water because it was so hot that day. And uh, we had a we had a river about a mile down below us. We had decided that it was worth dropping everything but our water water bags or bottles or whatever we had. And we went down there and filled every one of those up. It took us about an hour to drop in, fill them up, and come back up. But we had to keep our hands clean, keep the meat clean, um, and it worked out. It was going to be a disaster without it. So in that time, you know, field care, um, you know, sometimes it's nice to have water. Hand, you know, back then we didn't pack like the hand wipes, the wet wipes around. Now we would have had those. We could have helped out with. Um, you know, this was an instance where it was so muddy, like rubber gloves weren't going to help at all, um, and everything was slick. I think rubber gloves would actually hurt in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we did everything we could, um, you know, on that one. And um, on on that Colin, I think we were we were very aggressive. You know, some people would have been like we were too aggressive. But we yeah, when I cut- was when I was running after you, chasing you down, I was thinking we were on the edge of too aggressive. But we it were, worked out we, great. Yeah. So this, I'm glad you said that because if there would have been a spruce tree or a good tree, the vegetation, we, we talk about it maybe too much, but this is another idea. Like I knew that was the tree. I could see it from a hundred yards out because everything else was going to put me behind a little teeny green, you know, a piece of brush out in the wide open. And that was a tree that was going to allow me to be concealed, get my bow drawn, everything that I was going to need to do. And so we probably were about, you know, if you want to say we were 30 yards too aggressive, but I, I needed to be at that tree. Otherwise, it didn't matter how far we stayed back or, or where we played it cautious. We weren't going to get to to the right spot. Um, yep. We didn't know if it was a herd bull or a satellite at that point. You know, herd bull, we were going to have to get that close. So, um, yeah, we, we literally ran the last 300 yards, got very, very tight to this bull, and it was still a pain in the neck to call him out from behind that tree. Um, you know, it took us 20 minutes of back and forth, and, and finally a bark was what was able to pull him 
pull them away. Yeah, and that's what's cool about elk hunting. You can chase them around and, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and then we finished up on that hunt. We hunted, so that was day one. I was fortunate enough to kill. We hunted with our buddy, uh, Corey, for another eight days. And um, we called in a few bulls. Uh, one lesson, and I'm, I'm not picking on my buddy, Corey, at all. Um, and when we talked to a guy on this hunt, what was his what was his line about drawing his bow? I don't remember. Uh, he was the guy's like I can't. He's like these bulls won't let you draw your bow. I'm gonna have to draw before I, he ever sees me. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm not talking anything bad about like is it this guy? Not Corey didn't say this, but the other guy. Um, and we're like, yeah, drawing your bow is and when to draw your bow is maybe the most important decision you're gonna make on a call in. Yep. Um, you need to you need to be very in tune with the bull's movement. How much has he stopped on the way in? Um, how quick is he moving? How aggressive has he been? If he's coming in tiptoeing really quiet, like, man, you depending on if you, how long you can hold your bow, but you might want to draw at the very last second. Like, yep. find a tree that you can draw on. Have a tree picked out yep. beforehand. I'm going to draw there. Yep. yep. If a bull's, like, just hammering through brush and, like, storming in, you, you get a little more lead way. You can draw a little bit earlier because you're not going to probably get stuck holding as long. Um, it's a fine art, but, you know, Back to the bighorns hunt in Wyoming, we had a pretty good six with a real good front end, maybe not super strong up top. Um, but this bull got out into a meadow, and and he actually did what we say doesn't work very often. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of vegetation in front of us, but we kind of got pinned down because he we were calling, and I think we all kind of looked up and we're like, oh, he's on the edge of the meadow. We called a little bit more, and this bull sprints across the meadow. And that was one of those times where if, and I think Corey was a little bit on the edge whether he wanted that bull or not, so he maybe he wasn't super interested in, in drawing at that time. But within about 20 seconds, that bull covered 200 yards. Oh, yeah. And he was right on top of us at 20 yards broadside. But, you know, once again, Corey wasn't able to draw his bow because now the bull was locked on, you know, me and him, the caller and the shooter, and we were kind of just pinned down. So um, we chased a lot of bulls. It was a lot of fun just, um, you know, a little bit later in the hunt, we had a bigger five-point that, you know, came in in kind of a weird direction, and then he started his frontal walk at about seventy yards, coming up an old cat trail. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. If you know, we talk about this when you set up. You should be able to guess where a bull is going to want to come up, and if he's going to come up like an old grade or an old like a very clear path, you should maybe set yourself fifteen to twenty yards up on it and not be in a straight line with that path. You know, because I think if we were just ten to fifteen yards off. Number one, that bull wouldn't have finally seen us in the road being set up or Corey in the road set up, but he would have walked past us or at least up that road enough to get a shot. And so we would have avoided the eye-to-eye contact and uh, been able to get a closer broadside shot. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, think about all that stuff when you when you set up. Um, we finished that hunt up. We came back to Oregon. Um, I think we are September 11th or 12th we showed up here. Yeah, that sounds right. And that year, this unit just seemed to be somewhat dead. I mean, we were getting on bulls every day, but it just wasn't going. Um, they weren't interested in being called in, real reluctant to be, you know, even cow called to, bugled. Just we would see bulls. They weren't bugling a whole lot. And so we were still kind of early in the rut. Um, we chased we chased some smaller bulls, seemed to be rutting a little bit more. We chased some bulls pretty deep, you know, on a few days. Um, it, we, it was very weird to me for the unit we were hunting that year that – we ran into a herd with a, a bigger five point and a very small six point is the herd bulls in, in a deep spot that should have had something special in it. Um, 
So on, on hunts like those, I think you need to, you just need to wait your time. But that year, that season, I believe, closed off on September 19th. Yeah. And so you're, you're balancing being patient and letting the rut kick in versus you need to get it done now, kind of in that pre-rut. Um, so with that said, we were we were still pounding a lot of ground. We were just trying to find a bull that was either with a herd, you know, that, that had a cow that was in and they were excited. And the other thing that was real weird about this unit is all the big bulls like to hang out together. Um, so we, we had found a couple herds. We spent a lot of days chasing bulls that just, they were outsmarting us, outrunning us. And we invested a lot of time, you know, on, on some very, very good bulls. And then finally we had to make the decision, all of us after being beat, what, four days in a row, three days in a row. I think it was four, yeah. But, it was and and similar routines, different routines. He could do whatever he wanted and beat us, it seemed like. We just were at a disadvantage. Um, we just had to pull the plug on him. Like, yeah, he was a great bull. It was one that we wanted to go after, but we had to change plans. And so, you know, fast forward, you're like September 15th or 16th. You don't only have four or five days left. So um, that's where you have to make that decision on – do you stay with them, potentially burn up all your season getting beat, or do you need to go find one that's more callable or in a more callable area? Yeah. Um, that hunt, um, we had we were we had got soaking wet the one day we chased the five and the six point out, and you had wore your I think you had worn your socks two or three days in yeah. a row. Um, one too many days in a row. So, and- so Dave had uh, hoof rot yep. or uh, <laughs> foot I, disease. <laughs> I was on the bench for twenty four hours. Yeah, Dave. Dave sat. September 16th out 17th 16th and uh I went out with my other buddies and that was the day it was literally like somebody had hit the light switch and told those elk that day that you need to start beagling um we had called in three different bulls to under 60 yards just didn't have any shots we were watching a 320 bull that day um and one of Brian's one of his, I think it was his brother, one of his buddies came up and found us on the mountain and said, Hey, you guys got there. The big bulls are down low. And so we adjusted our hunt. We came down out of the mountains. We got, we had some permission on some private there and uh, we chased, you know, I love hunting the mountains more than anybody. It's where I'd rather be. These bulls down low are uncallable when they're out in the, the fields like that, because you, you can't hide. You, you're basically trying to ambush them, get in front of them and, and wait. Um, but it's hard not to go hunt a group of elk with three or four bulls that are all big, mature bulls. Um, so we made the decision to do that. And then we got to hunt elk. Like I don't like to hunt elk for three days. Um, just trying to get in front of them all the time. Um, you know, ducking down drainage ditches, you know, running around, but ultimately was able to kill a really good bull down there. Um, and, and the low stuff, but you know, all of those bulls had dropped out of the mountains, you know, and went down there and then, um, you had to, you have to hunt them where they're at, right? We, we yeah. just mentioned the whole, the whole, it's, it's very obvious, but it, you have to kill bulls, big bulls where they're at. And that's where they all were at that time. So exactly. we made the decision to drop down. Um, I'm not ashamed. Like it was pretty nice to be able to get a tractor to the first bowl of my life and not have to quarter it up and pack it out on my back. Um, but it's one of those things I'd like to reserve or, or save for my wife and kids. And I just assume put that thing on my pack and, and get it out. But it, it was pretty nice. Um, one time <laughs> it, I had a blast down there in the fields. Cause I mean, you're, you're getting to see them out in the open and get and getting close to them and yep. seeing how bulls herd cows around. And it was, it was still a fun hunt. Yeah, it was, yeah. it was, it's it i think it makes you a more rounded elk hunter like trying to figure out what you can get away with being seen you know multiple eyes um you know we took a few risks you know at some points getting into these you know different tree rows um into these like christmas tree type patch you know Mm -hmm. it's like what can we get away with how close can we get um 
and, and it, it was a fun hunt. It, it, it was great for viewing elk, and like mm-hmm. you said, just being a, a student of the game, we're always trying to learn, but just getting to watch them and how, you know, when these three or four bulls all come together in what would be like a rut fest, quote, mega herd kind of a situation, like how the pecking order was established and why they maybe let it, each other get away with a little bit when yeah. you would think like normally a, a big herd bull would run them all out. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was interesting to watch. Yeah. Fun as a cameraman getting to film that stuff too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth the next year uh, you came with us and uh, filmed our wyoming elk hunt um tyson drevnock daniel duncan myself um, all drew wyoming tags and we uh, showed up there. Um, those guys, I was on a different hunt that year. Oh, I was in New Mexico with, with Dirk. Um, and, and I finished up a little bit late. You guys were there early archery hunting. Um, and I showed up late. And then we had found some bulls two days of archery season left. And this was a one of the, the tags that turns into a rifle shortly thereafter, you know, after archery. Mm-hmm. And we decided not to necessarily, as much as I love archery elk hunting, there was... Too many elk, 
too many eyes and too much open ground mm-hmm. for us to like get in without risking busting them. So we had made the decision, let's leave them here. Let's just keep tabs on them until the rifle opens up. Um, went back in there and, uh, everything you could have set your watch to these elk, right? Mm-hmm. When they were fighting, when they were coming out to the meadows, where the big bull was going to go, where the, you know, the, they were also very big satellites where they were going to go. Well, guess what also correlates with uh, the opening day of, uh, there was a deer season that started in there um, oh, yeah. on the same day. And so hunters showed up. We've seen hunters that we hadn't seen the whole time and, and other people coming in different trails. Well, long, and uh, I'll blame myself. You know, I use my rangefinder a lot to figure out like, all right, these elk are at 1,800 yards away from me. That little knoll's at 1,400 yards away from me. If we're comfortable with a 400-yard shot, we can get there. Well, somewhere... In opening day calculations, we were way too far, and we couldn't make a shot. The bull was there early, and so we ended up playing a cat and mouse game. We pushed him way high into a basin, way high in the mountain, and um, ended up having to kind of sit there. We watched the bulls walk in. We were able to. We knew where they were at. We knew what patch of timber they went in because they couldn't have got out. It was an isolated pocket, and we did a little bit of a you know a western a western move where we me and Tyson decided we would just still hunt through the patch of timber. And then Daniel was going to be where we thought they may kind of release out of there. Um, and so we, we did a little bit of a, a, a drive. I, you know, I went, it wasn't a drive. We were hunting, but we, we came down through that piece. Um, and I remember early, we were about halfway through the patch of timber when I had a, one of the, the medium sixes run through me, you know, like a 320 inch six. And I couldn't get a shot. Like it flashed in front of me. Uh, but it let me know which direction they were coming from. I wasn't on the right ridge. The elk were on Tyson's ridge. Um, Tyson had either bumped him or was pushing him. Um, so I ran down, and all of a sudden I heard a gunshot, which I couldn't tell if it was Tyson or Daniel. Mm-hmm. And then it was it was almost self-defense because the entire herd like came running by where I was at. And I was trying to, you know, find horns and um trying to just trying to figure out what was going on in the in the pan, you know, it was just chaos. Um and I figured you know you can hear when a rifle hits a, a cavity, right? It's you get the big thump at the end. So I knew we already had to pack one bull out of way. Well, I had a little five point stop by it, like seven yards. He didn't know I was there, and I'm like, well, that's close enough. And we already got to pack one out of here. We're going to bring horses and mules in. So um, I was able to get a shot on that bull, and then uh, it was the longest. I think most miles, most elevation i've put on in a single day i think we ended up doing 22 miles and 340 feet elevation yeah 340 yeah yeah so 3500 feet somewhere in there yeah that sounds right it was a long day and we kept getting turned around on the way back and remember um, those rocks that were just not fun to walk on yeah yeah Yeah. it was it was a disaster um and then we were all pretty beat but we had one day left where we had to go home and tyson still had his tag he was unable to get a shot that night um, the next day, um, locate elk right off the bat. We hear him bugling, um, not very far out of camp. We'd climbed up. And this is one of those times where we almost called the bull in too fast. Um, we located the bull. He was on an adjacent ridge, but on our slope that we were on, we had, uh, some of that dead timber. It wasn't burnt, but just dead beetle killed timber below us. And we thought we needed to get that bull's attention and keep it. But just like the bull with Corey, that bull decided he was going to sprint to us. Well, Tyson and Daniel, and I believe you already had walked, were, were walking down there, but you guys weren't going to walk as fast as that bull was going to get there. Um, 
and Cody couldn't see, but Cody Wilson was in a spot where he could not see how fast. So he was still calling, and I'm over there giving him like all the you know throw symbol, like stop, cut it off, knock it off, you mm-hmm. know. Um, he finally stops, but I think when you guys popped out of the timber, Tyson said he looked up and the bull's like at 40 or 50 yards away. Yeah, like we had called too fast. So in that scenario. Until you know exactly how that bull is going to react, I, I guess it, what would we have did though, if you guys would have waited with us, you guys would have been even further behind. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it was just it was fortunate that um, you guys were able to get there just in time, and, and Tyson was able to make a good shot on on that bull. But um, that was one of those things you got to think about that if you've got to get to a spot and you've got a secondary caller, um, use use call signals. You know, a lot of times if if a guy's ahead when he's ready to set up, he'll give like three quick cow calls or, or one or, or he'll say, I'm just going to cow call when I'm ready. And then I'm going to be quiet. Right. Give yourself some signal so that the guy that's maybe calling, or if you're not, ideally you're always within, you know, seeing distance of each other. So you can give each other signals like what's going on, bugle, cow call, whatever. But if you can't, you got to have some sort of idea what's going on. So make sure you can communicate without communicating. Um, we almost called that bull in a little too fast. Yeah. Um, what other hunts? I think 21 rifle. You, yeah, you were with us on that yep, one. Yep. Um, that bull. The whole story is, if you know he's around, he's around, right? Mm-hmm. We we spent um, we we had some guys. You know, my my good buddy Brian was watching him for a couple of days. Um, knew he was in the area, but the night before season, he had dropped over from a a, a south facing slope to a north facing slope. So it went from where he could see really good to where you couldn't hardly see anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew he was there. Opening morning, we found all of the satellite bulls that was with him, but him, all of his cows. And then you start to wonder how far as he went. Did he cross the entire canyon? Did he, you know, go up the ridge? Did he go down the ridge? You're you're really starting to question. We get all the way through that day, nothing. We go look at a different bull that just wasn't quite what we were after. Um, and then the next day, uh, we spot a, a big heavy seven that we didn't think was quite what we wanted, but we it, it deserved a closer look. Um, so me, you, Dirk, and Brian, I believe, walked mm-hmm. way out, way down this finger ridge, way down in there. Um, the biggest rookie mistake of ever. I don't. <laughs> Brian blames me. I blame him, but I know who was on the spotter at that time, <laughs> and it wasn't me. But uh, no, Brian. Brian's an awesome hunter. I'm just giving him a hard time, but I still give him crap about this one because, you know, when you're when you're looking through a spotter and we could see just like a piece of the elk and a little bit of horn, like he was tucked away in some brush, and I was getting kind of tired, and I, Brian was looking well about. I don't know, a minute or two went by, and I think he puts his eye back in, or I actually finally ducked down into my spotter, and I'm, we're both like, he's gone. Never seen him move, never seen him come out of where he was, no sight of this thing at all. Um, and we're kind of like, oh, that was that was as bad as it gets. Like, we screwed up big time, you know? We, we shouldn't have let that happen. We're fairly experienced. We're pretty good at this thing, but completely botched it. And uh, we decided, all right, it's the walk of shame. We're just going to walk out this. We were probably 1,500 feet down in there, oh, maybe yeah. a little more. Yeah, at least. Um, we're like, oh, boy, the walk of shame back up. Um, and about halfway, and I'd, I'd been hunting a lot already. We're, we're in the end of October, maybe early November. I don't remember. It was it was I had already had a lot of hunts that year. And uh, I got this – I don't know if it was a migraine or what the heck was going on, but I got a crazy headache that I did – I don't, you know, hadn't had to deal with too much. And we had took my pack off and I think I'd had some Tylenol in there and some ibuprofen or something, um, took it. And about the time 
I had dropped one of those like gel caps, I think, Advil gel caps, and when they get wet or any moisture, they puff up and they're no good. So I had just picked it up and threw it off the ridge, and I think Brian or Dirk or somebody, I think Brian yelled, that's the bull, get ready to shoot. Well, I love my gun, but it's a it's a big single-fed 338 edge. It doesn't have bullets in it. The bullets were all in my pocket. I had my scope cover on. I think I had about five seconds to figure out where my bullet was, where to get it in the gun. And then that bull came through the opening, but he came through it too fast. And we all gave our war cries just to stop him. Like that's one thing that will sometimes work. It's not a hunting sound. It's nothing, but you yell at a bull when, you know, right prior to where you need him to, because it's going to take a while for the sound to get there. We've stopped animals a lot, right? Just by a war, you know, a big yelp across the, across the Canyon. And that bull did not stop. And it was just like, oh, that was him, right? He had been there the whole time. We just never laid eyes on him. In the canyon we were in, yep. a pretty tight you know, side canyon, yep. never seen him. And we're like, oh, shoot. And I think Dirk, somebody said he's coming back. Yep. For some crazy reason, this bull decides he didn't want to go up that ridge and come. I don't know if he caught our wind off of that, but he comes back or down. Or just switch backing, yeah, maybe. He, he comes back down the trail. He went up and stops at that gap at 400 yards. Um, I was able to make a shot and, um, the rest was a long night with a migraine or whatever the heck I had going on. But, um, that was one of those times, um, you know, that trust, trust the, the latest knowledge you've got until you've seen that bull somewhere else or know he's out of there. You have to assume he's in that country, you know, the same with the, the, the archery seasons like we're in right now. Um, you know, if a bull was seen there somewhere during the rut with cows, you have to assume unless he just gets completely bumped out of the country or moved off somewhere, he's probably still there. Yep. Yeah. And one thing that stands out to me is I remember literally like 30, 45 seconds before that, Brian was like, that bull that we're looking for is going to be in a patch just like that. And yeah. that's where he was, ended up being. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's holed up there, right? He's trying super to, thick. Yeah. Recoup from the rut. He's trying to feed without anything, seeing him or laying eyes on him. He wants that security. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's a great, a great point is that, you know, look for those garbage holes. You know, just what we talked about the guy on the Colorado hunt. Uh, if you're, these bulls don't want to be in the, in the wide open anymore. Once they're done rutting, once they've kind of given up the pressures too much, they're going to, they're going to drop those cows and, you know, they may still check on them at night, but they're going to hide the rest of the day. They're not going to hang out with that herd, you know, 24 hours a day. Yep. Um, you got to hunt with Dirk a little bit last year on his Utah hunt. It was a pretty special place. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about like the bull to cow ratios there and just how you guys, maybe maybe how he hunted it a little bit different than you would a spot where you're dealing with cows and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a special place. Uh, I think the bull to cow ratios are like 80, 80 bulls to one cow or something, something crazy in there. Um, I think for the first three days, all we saw were bulls <laughs> in yeah. there. Um, yeah. I think, I think Dirk stuck to his guns pretty much, um, of just bugling a lot still, even though, I mean, yeah, we, we hardly had to get them bugling though. I mean, you would, they were, they were, they were bugling everywhere we went. So, um, just a lot easier, easier on us, not a lot of bugling to, to do. Um, and, but yeah, so then I think once we were, dropping down into those holes and knowing where the bulls were, it was, um, just a few cow calls and those bulls were headed our way. Um, again, just super special place. So it's, it's not, it's not your typical public land hunt. Yeah. And I think, I don't want to make a correction if you were right, but I believe the whole unit is what 80 to 100. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, for the but the area that you guys were in it didn't seem to have a lot of cows in it at all. So it might no. have been eighty to one. No, yeah, yeah. It seemed like eighty to one, but yeah, you're right, eighty to one hundred for the whole the whole area, which is yep. which is off the charts. You know, you you want to be in units with thirty to one hundred. Um, you know, and and that's that's pretty dang good hunting. You you and. What it really comes down to is like herd dynamics, and um, the reason those bulls were so callable is they none of them had opportunities at cows, and some of them were really good bulls, but they just don't have any cows around at that time, or the bigger bulls in there have all the cows. Um, this unit was pretty special too because a lot of the cows went to a certain part um, yeah. to, to rut, and so if you were in the higher mountains before those bulls decided they needed to drop down, you were hunting pretty much bulls still at that point. Yeah, I think it was it was just a special part of that unit where where the bulls are all uh, bachelored up and just figuring out you know figuring out who's the boss, and yep. we were there early too, um, so that made a difference yep. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I wasn't on that hunt, but I wanted to touch on it a little bit with some different um, bull to cow dynamics and, and how a unit can change and where, you know, we preach a lot, you know, bugle for aggressive, you know, aggressive bugling for herd bulls. I think in certain units, in certain areas, um, you know, cow calling is all that's needed. Or if you find the right bull, cow calling is all that's needed. So, um, yeah, no, it was, it was um, pretty easy just to let out a cow call and, yep. and locate them and yep. get in close to them. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, Aside from uh, that, uh, the hunt that we're on right now, the last time I got to hunt with you was on my Washington um, 22 bull, um, which hey, I, here's, a, here's a shameless plug. Um, it will be on Leupold Optics's YouTube channel. Um, it's actually airing today, which um, is September 19th. But uh, you know, by the time this, this episode drops, um, you can go check that out. And um, it, it was a fun hunt. But I would say the lesson that we pulled away from that is the unit we were in was extremely rugged. It's it's some guys may be able to hunt that day in and day out and do it right, but a lot of guys aren't going to be able to go top to bottom, top to bottom multiple times in this unit without burning themselves out. So the the game plan which may seem like some is a lazy plan or a boring way to hunt, but we've been there before, um we've hunted it before. We did not put a bunch of effort in aside from glassing we 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 did make a you know we had a, a good idea on on one decent bowl we made a little hike in there so we could see down in but it wasn't a ton of work we were trying to stay high and look um, we spent a lot of time behind the glass trying to just find the bowl that you wanted to go after you didn't want to waste energy on you know just getting into areas you can you know if you could hike to certain points in the unit so you could glass a lot of it um there was a you know there were one to two mile hikes where you could get into and glass a lot of it without having to to drop into it you can see a lot of these faces you may just have to change positions over time um and one thing about that unit um is is those bowls are for the most part there were a few mature bowls with cows still but the the bigger bowls had moved off um and then up in that steep stuff, a lot of it, there was one herd of cows, but the majority of the, are just bulls up there, right? So you're, most of the elk you see are bulls up high. The cows are going to stay down low. They're going to get out of the nasty stuff. Um, we were just picking through bulls. We were, you know, I, the day before, it was pretty wet and miserable and snowy up there. Um, and we couldn't see great, but when we could, we were spotting lots of elk, you know, 10 to 12 elk, mm-hmm. all bulls, um, you know, 14 bulls, whatever it may be. But you're really just picking through the bull that you wanted to go after. And so I think, what we got through all the wet the opening day was beautiful we spotted it was a little windy but mm-hmm. we spotted the bull we wanted and then basically halfway through opening morning the snow and the rain and everything came back in we spent two and a half days like barely getting 
looks into little slivers of country. You know, the wind would blow it out maybe at midday, and then it would fog back in, and you wouldn't see the rest of the day. So we kind of spent our time. We had we had found a couple bulls. We kept checking on, like we couldn't tell how good they were, and then um, finally we're able to find my bull um, the third or fourth night, and uh, we were looking out through the spotter. A couple other guys had showed up just to kind of like him and haw around and. Um, it was, this is one of those, you know, a, a successful hunt is made up by a whole bunch of decisions that you make along the way. And we were sitting there contemplating whether that bull would be in that spot in the morning or we had two hours of daylight. Yeah. Left. Yep. I think and, so. And, uh, we were sitting there him and Han, um, like, maybe not know, even two hours. Yeah. It, it wasn't a whole lot of time and we were sitting there just trying to figure it out. And I heard, I don't even remember which one of the guys said it. But somebody said, I know what I would be doing if I had to tag. And that was enough. Like, I've got a very competitive spirit. And it's like, well, if this guy thinks he could have got down there and shot it. Like, <laughs> let's go. So we ran back. We all geared up. Um, our good buddies, uh, Chris Cook and Hunter Cloak, were with us. Me and, and it was just me and you, right? Us four. And uh, Pete. Oh, yeah. Pete with Loophole. Yep. yep. Um, we, we took off. And it was as fast as I've ever dropped 2,500 feet. Yep. Um, as fast. And then we, the other thing we had to do was keep track of the bull for ourselves as we're going down, right? Because we need to get ourselves to a spot where we can shoot, where the face is going to be open. And we get, we probably dropped 1,500 feet. And um, you had your spotter as we're going down. We were able to relocate them. All right, we're good here. Like, get down another five, 600 feet. Let's relocate them, make sure we're still on the right path. And then we're also doing our thing. Like, if we get to this point, we should have a shot. But when you're not in a perfect line, there's a lot of guessing that goes on. Like, I think it'll be this far of a shot. And then we were even pulling out Onyx, right? If we get on this ridge where we think he is at on his face, should be about this far of a shot. And um, I said, I think we made it down there in just a hair over an hour. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. It was it was a fast, fast hike. Um, yeah. I I'm I, I like to sweat a lot as I hunt anyways, but um, this was the most I've ever sweated on a down downhill going run. downhill. Yeah, exactly. With snow on the ground. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that's the fastest I've ever lost elevation. Yeah, yeah. yeah we we boogied on down. Um, ultimately, that bull got a little bit tied up behind what I was calling the jack fur. I remember when we in the spotter, like he's behind the two jack furs. Um, <laughs> Because I just wanted to make sure everybody was on them, mm-hmm. whether I could shoot or not. Like once you're all on them, it just eases the situation, you know, because nobody's waiting. And we got we all got on them, and finally he took a, a step out to the right. Um, I shot high, and and this is crazy steep country, and uh, I had shot a whole bunch at home leading up to it. Um, very very comfortable at the range, you know, not not a lot of work for my gun, but it was such a boxy straight up and down canyon that. Uh, I don't know what the wind was doing. Yeah. And um, I took another shot and hit him, and he dropped. And at that point, now you're committed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, shot again. I shot again or two more times and was able to finally, um, you know, hit him and, and kill him. But, uh, man, it was one of those times where it was a little bit humbling. Like, no matter how good of a shot I, I think I am, and I thought the wind was right in our face, there was something crazy going on across the canyon. Um, and it was one of those times where I'm glad it worked out as quickly and, and as ethically as it is, but it really questions like, you know, what, you know, what sort of conditions we should be, you know, shooting in. But, um, no, the, everything worked out great. Um, it was in a spot where, uh, the pack out was, uh, real, real bad. Um, we did, 
Hunter, who you know, Hunter and Chris, who grew up there, hunt it every year. They were a little unsure how we were even going to get to them and finding like a trail across. So we decided to. It was real, real cool outside. So we decided to wait and uh, you know attack it in the morning. Mm-hmm. We're able to find uh, you know some horses to bring it out, which was awesome. You know, just some of the the greatest guys in the in the world just you know drop what they're doing. Um, you know, yep. just as just as good guys. Like we just want to be involved. Um, and yeah. I think. And this is this sounds super pretentious and it's not meant to be, but they say guys that were willing to do what you guys just did deserve to have a bull packed out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're like, we want in. Oh yeah. You know, I was I was nervous because they were all heading to a Cody Johnson concert. I think that next yeah, day. Yeah, I think so they, they were. were <laughs> they they were they knew that their wives had one extra day they could they could haul haul an elk out, but they needed to be on the road first thing that next morning. But mm-hmm. um, super awesome guys, really appreciate all their help. And no, we've had some great elk hunts together. Um, mm-hmm. We're, we're all, you know, I love, you're willing to go anywhere. Um, how can people find out a little bit about your photography, look at your prints, um, you know, your website, your Instagram, all that stuff? Yeah, my website's just David Frame Photography and all my info's there. Gotcha. Instagram? Uh, yeah, David Frame Photo. Perfect. It's on there as Perfect. well. Yeah. Well, um, we're here at Elk Camp. We're recording midday. Uh, we're going to get this uh, wrapped up and then go out and start chasing bugles again. Perfect. All right. Thanks for thanks for uh, filming, following me around, and uh, hopefully uh, in the future we can talk about this episode or uh, this hunt as being another successful one we've got to share. Yeah. Thanks, Phelps. Thanks yep. for having me on. Take care. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.